Hi guys, welcome back to the Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm your host, Philip Kim, also known as the tennis bro for the Langham Hotel in sunny Southern California. And with me is my fabulous co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hey everyone. How are you, Valerie? A little warm, but pretty good. How about you? Yeah, we're coming into a heat wave here in Southern California. So this next week of tennis, I think is going to be kind of brutal. 90s, maybe. (laughs) We'll survive. (laughs) Yeah, and Somehow. I am so dark now. Do you, do I look darker? <laughs> Honestly, you're always tan. So. I'm always tan. And I've just started wearing um, physical sunblock so that when I go out <laughs> to play tennis, I'm completely like white-faced, nice. like kabuki theater <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's not great. Hat rafter. Not a you great the look. nose. But going. I'm trying. I'm trying. Even this last weekend, I tried a hat with like that little tail that covers your, uh-huh. <laughs> your, your neck because I've noticed that my neck has been getting a little bit hotter lately and it was so uncomfortable. I don't think I'll do it. Yeah. I'm not going to. Maybe I'll just do it just when it's like super hot, but not in general. You know, I was playing tennis last weekend and it was, we played uh, on a Sunday at about 5 p.m. And it was like, I don't know, 93 or 94. 5 p.m., wow. And I was thinking, I wanted to be like a baby and say it's too hot. But mm. I was like, you know, the pros play in this like every day and a right. lot of times it's way hotter. Yeah. So I was just trying to pretend like I was a pro dealing with the elements. <laughs> I mean, I think we're probably a little more used to it being in Southern California than some people, right? Yes. And a lot of people play tennis indoors all the time, and that's it's got to be controlled temperatures, I would think. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how that what that is like. We should take probably a field trip. Probably really nice. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but uh, I love the sun. I get energy from the sun. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel like I'm a solar battery. <laughs> so when the sun is on me, I'm like ah, I feel energy and I enjoy the heat. I think that you and I are definitely an an anomaly in that case because we both agree Yeah, that warm is nice. Good for tennis, that's for sure. Yes. Well, we are so excited to be back. We haven't recorded since uh, the fateful Wimbledon (laughs) final. How incredible and tragic and awesome, depending on whose side you're on. (laughs) That was a a crazy moment in tennis history. One of the greatest matches at Wimbledon. So historic in so many ways. Um, And dealt a lot with Roger Federer versus Novak Djokovic. Yeah. And speaking of Roger Federer, I wanted to start our our whole podcast with um, an announcement about a new book that just came out. And I just wrote a review up on lovesetmatch.net, which is my tennis blog, and you can check it out. It's a book called Federer-esque. And um, I invite everyone to check out the check out the book. And Valerie, I actually brought you a copy so you could check it out. I can't wait to see. I'm glad you didn't show me before we started recording, so this is actually going to be fresh, fresh to my eyes. I did get a chance to see some of your blog about it, um, so I, I kind of am familiar, but not. It still is very new. Valerie Garcia, may I present to you your copy of Federer S? This is my copy. It's for you. Oh my god! It's like it's um, for you. It's like Roger's birthday present to me, <laughs> right? Because it's because we are August eighth. <laughs> 
uh, just passed. We're celebrating his birthday, and and here is the most beautiful Federer book I've ever seen. Oh, I don't even know where to put it without ruining it in this godforsaken recording right, studio. Right, so describe for the <laughs> listeners what you see. Oh, I see the um, world's greatest athlete in his white Uniqlo shirt. <laughs> shirt. Um, it's like a, a nice little cover for the book. I got this shirt and the pants, by the way, for my birthday. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah. And we, I had to, I don't even know if I can say this, but I had to like buy it off of a guy in Japan in order to get it uh, shipped here because it wasn't even available on the Uniglow site. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like they had the brown, the only, all they had was the extra large brown shorts of Roger Federer when he played the clay. French. Oh, the French. Yeah, the French. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't have any of the white at all. I, I guess you could have bought it at Wimbledon because I heard and I saw people who had bought it as well as that Roger shirt that was like backwards. With oh, the, yes. Roger that, I think, was it? No, I Roger I saw, on. Oh, yeah, something. Roger but go. I did see it like backwards. Just <laughs> yeah. keep going. You're going to yeah. hit it. <laughs> I won't even enough. know when you hit it. It'll right. just go right over my head. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought it would be so cool if I wore like all Wimbledon whites when I taught, you know, at Langham or something, you know. That would be awesome. Right. <laughs> like, I'm so pretentious. <laughs> what a wannabe. It's all good. You know, the great thing about just the tennis world is that, well, half of, half of the people are going to think we're nuts and the other half, they're, they're Fed fans. So they just understand. And they're yeah. like, well, you, you barely got your Uniqlo. I've had mine two years or whatever. <laughs> I wear it to sleep every night. Yeah. Well, as soon as I posted it on Twitter uh, at Love Set Match, uh, I had a lot of people, of course, saying, oh my gosh, how did you get it? And there was this guy from Argentina or guy or girl, I don't know, who said, you know, can you get it for me? There's no way we can get it here. You know, that kind of thing. So, but I paid a premium because I had, I bought it from this guy in Japan and of course, it was like, you know, totally marked up. But that was the only way you can get it. It's so weird how Uniqlo is running their distribution of Roger branded materials. And there's not even an RF or anything on it. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, so have you worn it? No, it's in plastic. Oh, okay. It's, Are you going to like at, frame it my, and shrine it? Yeah, it's at my Federer shrine <laughs> <laughs> with incense. And no, I'm just kidding. No, it's just sitting there in plastic. I haven't, I haven't even tried it on. But I did notice when I looked at it, it's kind of sheer, you know. So that's good if you have a Roger Federer body, but not my body, I don't think <laughs> Roger look. Federer doesn't have that great of a body. Oh, please. What he's are a, you talking about? He's a little about? soft. I mean, <laughs> if you saw him on the beach and you didn't know who he was, you'd never think that's the greatest tennis player. That's a prof world-class well, professional athlete. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he doesn't look like the man of steel, but he still is incredible shape. I mean, the musculature and... <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, all that to say, I, do, I don't have any of that, not I, even close. So. I think you're doing all right. No, okay. so it was just, it's, uh, yeah, and it's sheer, like I said, too, so I might even have to wear something underneath it. So I don't A little know. wife beater? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are in Southern California. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I was super proud. So talk about the book. Let's take a look at so it let's together. See. Well, the cover of the book is awesome. It's one of those awesome, like a Rolex type of Wimbledon stairs with Roger in all white with his headband. It says Federesque. Emotion, artistry, humility, immortality, elegance, perfection. So the whole book covers those different themes and talks about the man in relationship to those themes. So you go through it and you see the author, Mark Hodgkinson, 
talking about those specific themes and how they relate to Roger, which I thought was really nice. So it's not just a tennis book in that way. It's really about the humanity of the player. I love it already. I'm flipping pages. If you guys can't hear, there's pictures. Let's mic the flip. Oh, yes. Ooh, newspaper headlines, which, by the way, a friend of mine stopped in Switzerland while he was in... Europe, and he really, it was only a, like a, he was hopping a, a plane to a plane, but he, while he was in Switzerland, he grabbed a newspaper for me and brought it back, Aww. and it happened to have like this, it was like the National Enquirer for Switzerland, yeah, and it was like Roger Federer and Gwen Stefani having an affair oh type of thing. Oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding Yeah, me. it was funny. So I still have that somewhere, along with some Swiss money he brought me back then. How nice. You know, just for fun. Uh, what a beautiful picture of the greatest, most beautiful backhand. I've ever seen. And of course, the colors are the pink and black over the white from 2017. That was his that epic was the run. Australian the Open. Australian Open, where he came back after six months off. And you got to lead with that, right? Yes. So, all that to say, the book is incredibly beautiful. Please go check out my review of the book, which is on leftsetmatch.net. And please support the authors. Uh, I, what I love about the book, the whole concept was the editor decided he wanted to buy a book for a Federer fan, and he looked at all the Federer books, and they were kind of not what he wanted. They weren't a beautiful coffee table book with pictures and all that stuff. So he said, I'm going to make one. So this is back in 2017, and here two years later, he brought his dream to life, and he created the epic fan book for Roger Federer. It's beautiful. It is. Yeah. It's museum-like in the way that it's laid out and clean. It's very Swiss. I love it. Thank you. You're so welcome. I feel bad for everyone else who doesn't have this. Well, they can get it. They can just go to my blog, and there's a link there to go, go and buy it on Amazon. And I think it's available in English, German, and French, I believe. I can't believe you didn't buy it for me in Swiss German. Because <laughs> I would totally be able to read that. Well, one of, my, one of our dreams, Valerie, is <laughs> we're going to both get this book and we're going to take it with us to Indian Wells, right? Yes. I mean, can you imagine if, he, if Roger signed this book for us, how precious that would be? It would be awesome. It would be amazing. We'll get it. Yeah. Somehow. Roger, if it's you're gonna listening. It's going to take like five hours of standing around <laughs> waiting. waiting. Line. <laughs> We're going to have to show up at the practice courts or at the fences. Yeah, three to four hours. Yeah, prior to practice and yeah. just stand there. Just sleep there with our sleeping bags. Yeah, and then beat up a couple kids that are asking for autographs as well. As <laughs> Put elbow just, them. Yeah, Push hit them, them with a book on the head. <laughs> Get out of my way, junior. <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping that now that you mentioned that, that the front would be a little lighter so he could just sign it. Sign I think he could sign the back and even on in, inside or something. Yeah, probably yeah. the inside. Yeah. But oh, this is going to be, this is going to be exciting. Yeah. That's so good. something to, to look forward to. Yeah. Well, enjoy. I'm so glad we get to share this moment and I'm so thankful for the editor allowing us to have the book and uh, review it and share it with the rest of the world. It's so beautiful and so the perfect gift for anyone who loves sports. And Roger. And especially Roger. The greatest athlete. Uh, on his birthday last week, I just was running around telling everyone like, don't you know what today is? Today is the day that God created the best athlete who has ever walked the earth. I'm, which is... It's hard for me to say it that I used to say the best athlete 
or the greatest athlete. Now I feel like Djokovic has kind of put himself in that sentence, but Roger will always hold the title of the most elegant, beautiful athlete I've ever seen. Yeah, and so fitting that this elegant, beautiful book pays tribute to him, I think. Yes, for sure. That's so nice. Uh, We also have news from Tennis Pal that I wanted to share with you. So the Tennis Pal app has been developing. More and more people are using the app, which is so exciting. And they've just now launched a new coaching section for Tennis Pal um, that's called Tennis Pal Coach Partner Program. So this, if you're out there and you're a coach and you're involved in teaching tennis, we really invite you to be a part of this aspect of Tennis Pal. You can go online to TennisPal.com or download the app and find out how you can sign up to be a coach partner. And it's uh, a way for you to not only meet people who want to hire you as a coach, but also there's a channel for of coaches. And Sarah Stone, who we interviewed for this podcast and is the CEO of the Women's Tennis Coaching Association. Uh, She's also part of that program as well. And so they're lining up really high-profile coaches and people who have uh, a lot to share to be a part of the Tennis Pal Coaching Program. So I just want to encourage everyone to check that out as well. That's awesome. And for those that you don't don't know, Tennis Pal is not only do they have a website where you can access all of these great features, but it's an app that's available on Android and iOS or iPhone. Um, and it's it's awesome. It has a lot of different features where you can meet up with other players um, and just have practices or matches. And you can also, there's a lot of videos with content for you. There's a social media aspect where you can kind of um, post on there. And there's also a spot where you can kind of have like a news feed of like ESPN links and all these storylines for tennis. So instead of having to like go to Yahoo Sports, ESPN Sports, the ATP website, the WTA website to get all this, you just go on a Tennis Pal app and you have them all already there in one spot. So this app has so many cool things and this coaching. uh, It's just another dimension I think is really going to add (laughs) to That's really going to add to this the, the idea of growing tennis. And that's the mission of Tennis Pal and why we're so excited to partner with them is because they have the same heart as we do. It's about the passion and about growing tennis and getting more people involved. And uh, so, yeah, please do check that out, tennispal.com, download the app, or visit the website. Valerie, so much tennis has happened since Wimbledon. So much. And it feels like there was a little bit of a lull right after Wimbledon because of, oh, it was just so epic, right? It was so up. It was so high. Whether whether it was high because Djokovic won or for Federer to lose, whatever that level of energy was so high, but there, but tennis continued. It still was happening even after Wimbledon, even though I feel like all of us kind of took a, a break. <laughs> Twitter was kind of silent for a while on, on my side and people were a little bit distraught, but boy, so many uh, tournaments have been happening uh, throughout the summer and we, as we move into the hardcourt season and as we prepare for the U.S. Open. It's almost here. Can you believe it? It is almost here. I, I mean, we're already in the hard, the U.S. Open series. I feel like it's like 20, was it like 20 days away or something, which is insane. And awesome. It's my favorite tournament of the year. Is it? Yes. Wow. And 
I can't wait. I was even debating taking like a vacation from work so I could just sit at home and watch tennis all day. That would be amazing. Not going though. It's just uh, because you've actually actually been there. (laughs) I have never been to a slam. I feel so horrible saying that. Well, when you're ready to go, I'll go again. But other than that, you know, um, I did learn, for me anyway, that Indian Wells was a much better and cheaper experience Mm. to get my tennis fix than flying to New York. Mm. Um, But it is is amazing. Um, Funny stat, which we may have uh, covered in the last episode, but the last time in 2008 when Roger lost Wimbledon to Nadal in that epic final, he went on to win the U.S. Open. Oh, right. So I have high hopes... (laughs) this year that maybe it is a good year to watch the u.s open for a federer fan yeah well and speaking of roger he is actually play, he was actually playing right now uh as we were setting up to record this podcast but uh in cincinnati but uh apparently it got rained out and so it was on hold in the second set to all i believe djokovic is already through in cincy and lots has been happening Djokovic beat Sam Querrey, which is so sad. He, he, he really dismantled him, 7-5, 6-1, which was, uh, I mean. You it's would, a rough second round for Sam. Set, rough. And you would expect him to do a little bit better because um, he loves hard court. He's got the serve. He's got the forehand. and But from the scoreline, you could tell that Djokovic was finding his game. And then by the second set, it was, you know, it was on, game on. So something to be feared, I think, for all the other players, right? Yes, and happy to report that play has resumed and Roger did win. So oh, okay, great. We're so in the third round. Into the third round, Roger wins 6-3, six, 6-4 six, in straight sets. So that's awesome. But just kind of recapping some of the news that's happened since Wimbledon, because we haven't really talked since then. I mean, there's so many tournaments uh, just quickly touching on the end of the grass season, which was the Hall of Fame Open in Newport. And uh, John Isner took that. And I don't know how many times he's won this, but I know he's won it a lot. <laughs> he has. I think oh. it's synonymous with John Isner, I feel like. And he's one of the few people that goes on from Wimbledon to play uh, this tournament because it's just immediately following uh, the next week right after. Yeah, and it suits his game so well. Why, if I was him, I would play it every year as well. Yes, yeah. Not much competition out there for... Uh, a tournament like that to to beat Isner. Yeah, and it's super local for him too. So it's yeah. nice that he gets to go and be a part of that. And I wonder who's going to take his place when he grows out of that tournament. Who's going to be yes. coming up on that? And then some kind of other notable stats. Uh, the Atlanta Open also in the United States. Um, I thought it was kind of amazing that Alex Dimanuer won that title he had an incredible run but he um also that taylor fritz was a finalist in this tournament as well as in cabo uh los that the los cabos open where he, he lost um against diego schwartzman so he was in two finals back to back and you know you could take it two ways one that his game is so strong right now that he really is increasing is obviously his ranking is going up and he's uh, winning some tournaments but just at that mark where he's not able to cross the line but it's really exciting for Taylor Fritz I think says says a lot of good things for maybe the U.S. Open yes and he um when you see him in interviews he's highly motivated and he really believes in himself I mean he really wants to be 
like a top five, top three player. Yeah. And I feel like for a big player, he moves pretty well. Often you'll see like a John Isner and he's not as tall as Isner, but uh, kind of that tall in that category doesn't move as well. Uh, Obviously has a great serve and a great forehand. Uh, I feel like Taylor has a more complete game in that way. Do you feel like that? Yeah, I do. I, I like his game. He's fun to watch and who doesn't like watching American men's tennis. Yeah, well, speaking of fun to watch, uh, I think we have to talk about Nick Kyrgios because he's been... Nick Kyrgios is fun to watch? <laughs> Who is this Nick Kyrgios guy? Tell me about him. Well, he's the actual champion of the Washington Open, which is a new <laughs> thing to say. He actually won a title. Quite uh, convincingly. He played out of his mind the entire tournament. He really did, and it's a, it's a 500, so it wasn't like... No one showed up. He had a pretty strong competition in that, and he was uh, the eventual winner in the final against Daniel Medvedev, which I think he's one of the most winning players in the ATP right now. He's won more matches than um, any other player, I believe, is the stat, which is stunning. I mean, he has been so consistent, almost Roger consistent, in the way that he has uh, attacked, although unfortunately... He couldn't take this one on, and Nick Kyrgios took the title. And I feel like there's a there's a kind of a tipping point that's happening with Kyrgios right now, that he went through so much disdain and hatred, and you know people would boo him and all of that. And I feel like Washington maybe was turning the corner for him feeling good about tennis, and feeling like he could win these things. And he also was a crowd favorite there. They were really appreciating him interacting. Yeah. I mean, he's you want to go see a Nick Kyrgios match, even if you don't like tennis. Right. Right. You go and you're entertained because right. this guy is, he's got game and he's there to interact with the crowd. You know, he's like, he hits a winner and he goes and runs along the uh, sideline and fist bumps like 15 people, right? Right. Um, talking to the crowd, asking for advice asking where he should serve for his match point. Um, there's so there's so much fun, and plus he's he's just a shot maker, which makes it so exciting. Yeah, I mean, his talent and his skill at uh, hitting shots, hitting drop shots, uh, faking people out. Uh, there, was, there, was a, there was a classic uh, shot where he was serving an underhanded serve, and he actually faked the underhanded serve and had Kyle Edmund running forward <laughs> As if he was running to get a drop shot, but he didn't actually hit the ball. So it was like in basketball, they call it breaking ankles. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. he was forcing him to come forward to the net. And of course, the crowd loved it. And, yeah. you know, uh, how embarrassing for Kyle Edmund, but. He seemed to take it well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you imagine if he had done that to like a Rafa or something, there probably would have been a lot more headlines, but. And maybe booze. Yeah, because Rafa is such a favorite. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like when Rafa and Kyrgios play, a lot of people... Fireworks. Like, Fireworks. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of people do really back Kyrgios. Mm. Maybe not when he's playing Roger, no. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like there's a there's even a public change towards Kyrgios as well as his own mental attitude of... I mean, in the uh, final speech, he talked about this being the greatest tournament he's ever played and he's going to come back every year. And so you, you really f- saw that he actually cared because mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things with Kyrgios is you feel like he doesn't care. 
he'll tank and he doesn't show up or he'll serve and then just hit something just because he's trying to finish a point but doesn't care about tennis. And I think that's discouraging for fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think maybe the shift of people caring more is because they can see that he's actually caring. Yeah. And I think at the Washington Open, it started a, a brand new rivalry of Sitsipas versus Kyrgios. Oh, yeah. That was fun. That was fun and intense. And, and you felt like Kyrgios was trying to draw Sitsipas in to be kind of like, buddy, buddy, let's have fun on the court. And mm -hmm. Sitsipas was having none of it yeah. because he is an intense player. He wants that win. And, and actually, Kyrgios beat him. Yeah. I there's certain matchups that I just never get tired of watching. That is definitely one of them. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe Curious will be his kryptonite. Uh, I know that uh, Felix Ajay Aliasim is Sitsipas's kryptonite. That he talked about when they were playing in the juniors, he could never beat him. And even recently when they played, he lost to him FAA as well. Yeah. So maybe there's a certain game style or something that he really struggles with. But um, yeah, Sitsipas was all about it and trying to win every point. There's no question he was not playing around, didn't kind of fall into the Kyrgios trap. Yeah, and you, I mean, speaking of Sitsipas, like the early exit at Wimbledon and... I don't know. He had like such a good start to the year and then he's kind of just been fizzling. And I just keep thinking like he's going to he's going to make it back. He's going to be in headlines again and he's not really making it very deep runs. It's kind of disappointing. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, even though they had an incredibly tense singles match, they were actually playing doubles together at Washington. Yes. Sitsipas and Kyrgios played doubles in Washington. In Washington. Yeah. <laughs> and they lost in the first round. <laughs> yeah, and they lost in the first round. But it's, it's just funny that they would play together and have that kind of camaraderie. And yet when it came to singles, they could put on the, the war paint and say, I'm taking out my enemy. Yeah. Know? Although I think Nick Kyrgios was less like that. He he seems to care less, in the at least in the way he portrays how he feels about the match. Yeah. I feel like the only time you really see Nick with his head to the, you know, looking down and just focused on the task at hand where he's less silly is when he plays someone like Roger, Djokovic, or Nadal. Yeah. He gets real serious. But mm -hmm. when he's playing other people, I, I feel like his energy is a lot lighter and he has that kind of flippant attitude of like, meh, whatever. Like, right. this point isn't that important. Right. I did feel, uh, I have no idea what's in Curious's head. Does anyone? But I did feel that he really wanted to impress Sitsipas with his playing, with the drop shots, with all of that kind of stuff. So it's almost to that that kind of I need to prove myself against the top guys kind of vibe. And he did. He did really well. Yeah. I mean, it's no secret that if he just tried a little, <laughs> he would he would be the constant number four. Yeah. Right? Def or definitely. maybe even number three, you know. Right. Um, his top. talent level is leagues above right. everyone else. So Right. Well, let's listen to a little Nick Kyrgios talking about winning this tournament. And the fans, you guys have been amazing all week. Uh, this has honestly been one of my favorite weeks of my life, to be honest. You know, I've made massive strides. Um, 
I started becoming friends with the, with the smoothie guy. He knew what smoothie I wanted. Uh, I was playing ping pong with some kids before I'm playing. You guys are amazing. It was honestly a week to remember. So there is Mr. Curios winning a title in Washington, which is really exciting. Around that same time, we had Diego Schwartzman, as I mentioned, winning Cabos, and Dominic Thiem winning in Austria. His, his home country. Oh, we should have said this here. His hometown. hometown. <laughs> Tournament. Tournament. <laughs> country. No. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying this right, but Kitzbühel, Austria. Sure. Sure. I'll co-sign that. I love Austria. I mean, I would literally uh, move there if I could find a job working in Austria or Switzerland as well. Well, Switzerland has my vote just because yeah. tennis, yeah. but I've never been. Um, I have to imagine they're both awesome. And I, on the note of Dominic Team and, and the Austrian Open, I heard recently that he has basically said this is like his favorite tournament and it coincides with the Olympics, the upcoming Olympics. And he has openly said he plans to skip the Olympics because he wants to play this tournament, which I just find um, really fascinating that he would not want to represent his country in an event that he can very well medal in um, yeah. just to go win this hometown tournament. I yeah. mean, he must really love that, that tournament. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's just all emotion. I wonder if he'll have a change of heart and, and a lot of people will be saying you really should play in the Olympics because it only comes around uh, every four years and you know you really don't get a chance to play it very often. And everyone that I've heard talk about playing at the Olympics says that it's, it's better than a Grand Slam, mm -hmm. that there's such a, an impressive energy and emotion playing for your country and so many positives that all the top guys have said, I would much rather win gold at the Olympics. Yeah, so ho hopefully I think I would feel the heart. same. You think so? Yeah. I mean, if I was contending for any titles, <laughs> you're also on the world stage in a yeah. much bigger way. People get to know who you are and find, and it really supports tennis. You yes. know, thank God that tennis is a, an Olympic sport. There's a there's like breakdancing as an Olympic sport now, so it's <laughs> starting to mean a little less. No, I'm kidding, but uh, yeah. No disrespect to breakdancers. <laughs> <laughs> An amazing feat if you can do it. Oh yeah, I mean they they are incredible athletes for sure. <laughs> but Dominic Thiem beat uh, Albert Ramos Vinolas uh, in straight sets and actually took the second set six one. But it's also strange and makes me think about the emotion in that he's actually never won this tournament in the past. Theme. This is the first time. Oh. So maybe it's wow, I finally won my home tournament and he's been trying. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then he got a lot of love and his family was there. And that's why I feel like it was an emotional thing to say and that eventually he'll, he'll go to the Olympics, I think. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize this was the first time he won. I'd be so surprised if he didn't. And you were mentioning that Taylor Fritz made back-to-back -back finals. Yep. Daniil Medvedev also appears to have been quite busy in the finals. Yep. Also like Taylor Fritz losing in both of them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, against two tough players. I mean, he lost against Kyrgios in the Washington, and then the next tournament that we're visiting is 
moving to Canada. And uh, boy, Canada was tough because uh, Roger said, hey, I'm not going to play in Montreal. And then Djokovic kind of at the last minute uh, also bowed out. Yeah. So the field was pretty open in that way. And Nadal uh, easily took it, as you said. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, I think the second that uh, Novak and Roger dropped out, Nadal just licked his chops and said, great, let me, uh, let me just add to my Masters 1000s total. And we totally take for granted how hard it is, of course, to win all these matches and how these people are coming up. But it also just reinforces again that the top three are the top three mm-hmm. and not even close I mean, he beat Daniel Medvedev 6-3-6-0. He bageled him in the second set. And yeah. this is one of the most informed next-gen players, if you will. Doesn't really seem to bother Nadal on not his best surface. Yeah, and I think they they were talking about Medvedev's stats. And he had like some crazy like 90-something percent of first serve points won. Wow, really? And up leading up to that. Mm. And Nadal was able to break him at will. But what a strange game. I mean, he's definitely not someone who I would say, watch this guy and copy his technique. <laughs> because uh, he has such such interesting technique. And this always reminds me as I'm playing tennis, as I'm coaching, that you don't have to do everything exactly like everybody thinks you have to. You just have to win. And can you win? Can you get the ball over one more time? Can you be the last person to do that? You know, no matter how your serve or your strokes or your form look. Interesting stat. In the quarterfinal of Montreal, Medvedev played team, who was obviously playing well, right? He just won his hometown tournament. Yeah. And he's a top contender. Medvedev only lost one point on his first serve yeah i watched that match though team was so off it was really strange so i don't know if something physical was happening there but he could not control the ball i don't think it was because medvedev's you know shots selection or his shots were so good team was just off and he actually got kind of upset but yeah i don't know what was happening in that match but it does say a lot for medvedev he's a great player. I heard he was a top 10 gamer in the world. At the same time, he started playing tennis, so he is highly competitive. Uh, Also, he's an excellent chess player, from what I understand. Nice. Yeah, so a lot going on. Um, Shall we talk a little bit about the women's side? Eh, Who wants to hear about women? Just (laughs) kidding. Of course. Come on. Should have been ladies first, damn it. (laughs) So, not only did the men play in Washington, but the women also played in Washington, and we had a hometown champion, American-born Jessica Pegula, who is also, what I just learned, is the richest tennis player on the tour. She is the heiress to um, like these sports moguls and multi-billionaire. Uh, her parents are the owners of the Buffalo Sabres, which is a hockey team, and the Buffalo Bills, the NFL team. Insane. And wow. She's 25 years old and she's playing quite great. I mean, she beat Camilla Georgie to take the title. 
which is a formidable opponent. Opponent. I mean, Camilla Georgie hits the ball so well, so early, and so hard. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other cool thing for the Washington Open is a uh, Coco Golf. Yeah, sure. Uh, the breakout won, player. At yeah, she mm-hmm. won doubles, so that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah, and I'm assuming that that's uh, Coco Golf's first doubles title in the professional league. And I know this was uh, Jessica Bagula's first title winning the Washington Open. So congrats to her. Yes. I mean, they always say your first is the most special, right? And it's pretty cool to have it in your home country as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She probably had tons of family and friends there supporting her. So that's really cool. Yes. And that brings us back down to Canada for the women's side, uh, where they play in Toronto, not in Montreal. And uh, this year, this year, I was having fun telling someone about how cool, how cool it is that Toronto and Montreal every year, you know, switch mm-hmm. and having men and women, mm-hmm. and that's just like a, it's the only, they're the only tournaments that do that on the swing, and it's. It's a cool tradition. It is a cool tradition. It gives all of Canada a chance to see both sides, which yeah. is really nice. Yeah. It's a great idea. Those Canadians are so fair. <laughs> <laughs> WTA Premier Tournament. Yes. Not just an international. Uh, with a prize of $2.8 million. And nice. Who walked away with that check? Oh, hometown girl. See, they were so fair, they were blessed. They were blessed with uh, a player who, okay, obviously my girl, Serena, lost. However, I am a huge fan of Bianca Andreescu, the champion. She, Her game is so fun to watch for me. I really am so glad that she's on the tour and that she's making this this like a breakthrough year, winning at Indian Wells. I was really excited for her then. Um, when she, I think she beat Kerber like back to back this year yeah. in the finals. Yeah. And that was like really cool to watch. Not that I want to see Kerber lose. I like Kerber, right. but it's just really fun when you just see a young up and coming talent really kind of put their tennis together and see these awesome results. So, yeah. um, unfortunate the way it had to end, you know, Serena retiring in the final only like four games in. Right. Um, both of them being hobbled. I guess you knew we weren't kind of going to have a great match. Um, but really cool that Bianca was able to win in front of her hometown and the end of the match, that embrace and the interaction between them, like such great sportsmanship. Like how can you not like Bianca? Yeah, the warmth that Andreescu showed to Serena at the very end when Serena was in tears and just crying and uh, could not continue on with the match at 3-1. Uh, it, was, it was really beautiful to see such great sportsmanship. Yeah. And, you know, this coming from a girl who I think she actually said to Serena, I, I understand about injury, because she had just recovered from months out. I think she was out for two or three months after Indian Wells with the shoulder injury. Yeah. And so for her to come back, really she had played very few matches since Indian Wells to come back and to win this title is insane. That's awesome. And you know what I notice is like I've she always seems to have stuff taped on her legs like mm. all the time. Mm. 
It's just interesting to me. Yeah. And she, she battles through it. She seems like such a fighter to me. Yes. And such a smart, smart player as well. Yeah. And she apparently was the first Canadian to have won uh, this tournament in Canada since 1969. Nice. So, I mean, kind of epic in that Murray-esque winning of Wimbledon, yeah. <laughs> finally winning in your hometown. And uh, Andreescu talked about how tough the match was. And yeah, let's listen to her talk about this match. I think it's worthwhile. It's always nice to go um, into a match with someone like Sophia. She's uh, an incredible fighter and uh, she never gives up. So that it's a pleasure for me to share court with someone like that because I think it pushes me even harder to do better. So um, yeah, it was definitely a game of cat and mouse today. We were drop shotting each other. We were coming to the net, all of that, all of that stuff. Um, so it's never easy to play someone like that, but um, I think I, I did it a little bit better today and thankfully in two sets. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely surprising myself. Um, I don't realize the things I can do on the court. Uh, my coach is always telling me um, that I'm a champion within. Um, but I guess, I, I don't know, maybe I am starting to realize that slowly. Um, but at this point, I don't want to take anything for granted. I mean, there's going to be weeks where you're going to lose. Um, and right now I'm, I'm doing pretty well. So, uh, hopefully I can keep the momentum going. So also interesting about, uh, Andreescu, how powerful she is. She has, she is now 7-0 against the top 10. I saw that stat. Isn't That's that awesome. Stunning. Can you imagine the confidence that gives you that mm -hmm. you can play against Wozniacki and Auckland, uh, Svitolina at Indian Wells, Kerber, as you had mentioned, she's beat twice now, Kiki Burton's uh, Pliskova in this tournament, and of course the great Serena Williams, to be able to have said, you know, wow, I can beat the top 10. Yeah. That's insane. That's good. I have a, a lot of hope for her future, hopefully. Yeah. You know, she can keep it up. Yeah. And I feel like she really got left off the hook on this tournament because you could see after the Kennan fight uh, in the semifinal, and wow, that <laughs> was a match. Uh, I mean, you and I just watched some of the highlights right now. Oh, that now. was awesome, yeah. They were going at it. And uh, if if anybody gets a second, uh, second trophy besides Serena, it would be Kennan because Kennan, the American played out of her mind at this tournament, made it all the way to the semifinals and only was stopped by Andre Eskew and just barely. Yeah. It was really, really impressive. So it says a lot also for for Sophia Kennan. That was some quality tennis. Yeah. I mean, yeah. those girls were hitting that ball so hard and there was a lot of finesse. Yeah, a lot touch. of touch and drop I mean, shots. It had everything. It really did. Running down crazy balls. The angles, uh, the serves, just Wow. Yeah. As I keep saying, women's tennis is the elevation of the game. It's just stratospheric. It just yeah. keeps going, which is so impressive and so inspiring. Oh, and did you see that Forbes just released that the top 10 sports women in the world are all tennis players now? Wow. Top 10. I did not see that. All and I'm 10 very curious. Of them. I've, I mean, I feel like if they're Serena Sharapova type 
yeah. people would be on that list. You know, I, ha- um, I have that stat here. Let me see. Sharapova was at one time the number one female paid athlete. She has fallen now to number four. Serena was number one. Osaka was number two. Okay. Yeah. So Sharapova was the highest paid female athlete for many for years. Many years. Yeah. And then uh, Li Na at one point w- was like number two because all this new Chinese oh, yeah. money was coming into tennis. Oh, sorry. She's fallen to number seven now. Oh, no. Maria. <laughs> I'm not buying enough of your candy. She's obviously <laughs> doing just fine <laughs> to be number seven in the whole world yeah. of tennis players. Maybe or, it's because she started focusing athletes. on tennis again. So Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of you know, number one and Kenan, uh, Kenan actually beat Ash- Ashley Barty at this tournament as well. And uh, Kenan beat Svitolina. So, oh, wow, yeah. Those powerhouses. Are big wins right there. B- big, big wins for a young American. Because Kenan's a teenager, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's tough stuff. That is so cool. We have these Kenan and Coco uh, golf, like up and coming, so young and full of potential. It's just exciting. So Andre Eskew, she had only played one tournament in the past four months and goes on to win the Toronto title, beating all of these heavyweight players. She's now at a career high 14 in the world and becomes the top teenage player in the world, unseating Anna Samova. That's right. Anna Samova, another young up-and-coming American. Yeah. We're just uh, we're rich in the American tennis right now on the women's side. It's very exciting. I think a lot is coming forward, so really, really cool. It's going to make the U.S. Open a lot of fun. Yeah. For me, anyway. Yeah. Andrescu did withdraw from Cincinnati because of her legs, and obviously she was carrying a kind of a, a limp after she won uh, Kennan. So as I was saying so many minutes ago, I felt like she got a, a pass because Serena couldn't compete. I think if Serena could compete, I mean, she was playing an injured Andreescu, so yeah. you would feel like Serena could have won. But, you know, that that's how the cards fall for this one. Yeah, so it's going to be... It's going to be fun, you know. We have a couple tournaments, and we're just going to be right around the corner at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Best major. The last major. Wow, the last Save major. the best for last. That's right. The U.S. We've got to go to New York together someday. Yes. I mean, honestly, the, the most magical thing that you can experience as a tennis fan, in my opinion, and when I went, it, it was kind of proven true, yeah. is like the electric energy of the New York crowd. Mm. They do say that. You know, that. Arthur Ashe. Under the lights. Under the lights and like... I think I saw one of the best matches I saw when I went in 2009 was uh, Isner and Roddick. Wow. I stayed till like one or two in the morning. They went Serving deep into demons. like the fourth or fifth set. And wow. it was, I mean, it was everything I dreamed of. Wow. And I feel like there's just so many of those awesome matches. We saw some really good ones too. And um, let's look it up. It's a really good stadium. We watched this awesome Fernando Verdasco. Louis Armstrong, didn't Louis they? Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can't yeah. believe it's been 10 years. Um, well, more than enough time for us and our ramblings and our talking of tennis. I think it's time to let the experts talk. And I'm so excited that we're going to have fan favor reports this issue. <laughs> this is now a magazine and we have issues. Yes. No. I, we do have issues. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got lots of issues. This, this is going to be good. I can't wait to hear from everyone, especially Serena Williams reporter. 
Yes, she's always my favorite. <laughs> but I'm super excited because Andy Murray is back. Hi, everyone. I uh, just wanted to give you a quick update. Play, he played singles at Cincy, and Peter is super excited. He tweeted that he actually met with Mark Petchy, who, who is an announcer and Andy's coach, previous coach. So we're going to hear all about that. And Tanya is back talking about Djokovic, and we haven't really heard from her since the one since he won it yeah. yeah so i'm excited what passion she's going to bring to the table oh, yeah. as well. that'll be nice to hear her because that's really the only thing that we have to be happy about is to like hear her report and then be like happy for her yeah so I'm i, so I am excited to hear that yeah that's going to be great and 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 to hear nicholas talking about rafa yes who has been doing well yeah and jordan is back talking about maria sharapova so Yay. let's roll these fan favorite reports shall we Hi, this is Jordan in Los Angeles with your Maria Sharapova report. It's been an uphill battle for Maria as she returns back from injury and tries to get consistent match play. Wimbledon was the first time Maria Sharapova ever retired at a Grand Slam tournament, defaulting in the first round to Parmentier 4-6-7-6-5 love. Clearly an awkward time to call it quits, but injury prevention is always priority. Maria moved on to Toronto where she was the runner-up in 2009. The Russian received a wildcard entry, and her opening match saw her facing a tough opponent in top 20 player Annette Kontavet. Sharapova is 1-4 against top 20 players so far this year. Sharapova came out strong serving well and took the first set 6-4, but Kontavet settled in and took the second set 4-6 against the Russian beauty. The final set was an epic battle holding serve through 4-all, which ended up being a huge game over 70 minutes long, and Kontavet was a little tougher in getting the break and holding her serve. Here's what Maria had to say in her press conference. Yeah, I'm still building the confidence in, in my forearms, and that's something that's just going to come with time and with match play, and fortunately I just haven't had that yet, so I will just hopefully try to try to build on it. You know, there's never the perfect scenario. Um, you know, I'm going to be coming up against tough players, long matches, and they're always going to be tests and I always have to play my best tennis no matter who I play. So it'll just take time to build that confidence in them again because I've, I've struggled with it for a long time. But Sharapova was relatively happy with her performance in a more than two and a half hour three setter, reflecting the training she had been doing. I think technically I worked on a lot of things, she said, and you know, now I feel like my shoulder is getting a little bit stronger. I worked on that for many months. Sharapova had been coached by Thomas Hogstead, but appears to now be working at least part-time with Riccardo Piatti, the veteran Italian coach of Borna Cioric. I spent a few weeks in Europe working with Riccardo Piatti, which was really nice and just a different perspective from someone that didn't expect me, she said laughingly, adding that the session had not been planned, but we all had a great time. I worked really hard, but I felt really, I felt like I had fun, which was really important. But yeah, he'll be at the US Open, which will be nice. Coach Piatti said, her desire to work surprised me of giving the best out of herself and the excitement she shows. Continuing like this, she will still be able to win something important. We worked a lot on her shots, especially on her serve. Her injured shoulder did not allow her to push at her best, so she had to have a correct movement. We assessed her game also through some video analysis. Besides helping her, the experience was useful for me too to learn about her routines, her way to think and see things. Sharapova's hardcore swing continued in Cincinnati, where she received a wildcard entry. Her first round matchup came against American Allison Risk, with Sharapova coming out on top of a big hitting encounter, winning 6-3, 7-6. 
In the second round, Maria faced a rematch of her Australian Open encounter with Ash Barty. Once again, the Australian was able to outfox Maria in straight sets, winning 6-4, 6-1 and putting an end to the Russians' campaign. Next on the calendar for Maria is the Greenbrier Tennis Classic event that will take place on Friday, September 13th and Saturday, September 14th. Sharapova has replaced Serena Williams, who withdrew from the event as she wants to take a break following the US Open. Maria will be facing Caroline Wozniacki. They will also hold tennis clinics and autograph sessions. Off court, Maria was recently profiled in Architectural Digest for the design and construction of her new home in Los Angeles. The magazine states, Talk to anyone who worked with Maria Sharapova on the design, construction and decoration of her discreetly ravishing home in Los Angeles and their responses invariably follow the same themes, that the tennis star maintained a resolute vision of how she wanted the residents to feel and function from the earliest phases of the project, that she was one of the most intellectually curious and committed clients they've ever encountered and that her style and spirit as a supremely confident athlete and businesswoman animate every inch of the property. In short, Maria Sharapova is a boss. Maria said of this home building process, I was obsessed with the process of making this home. I'd jump off a plane from a tournament and go straight to the worksite or to the architect's office or to a kitchen manufacturer. This was my project and I wasn't going to delegate any part of it. Finally, Sharapova was once again profiled on the Forbes Rich List as one of the highest paying female athletes. After spending 11 years at the top, Sharapova has since dropped down to number seven. She's still doing just fine, obviously. This year, Serena tops the list with Naomi Osaka second. That's the Maria Sharapova report for now. We look forward to what Maria can do at the US Open and hopefully how all her hard work and confidence building will be paying off. Bye for now. Hey guys, I'm back with another fan favorite report for Stefano Tsitsipas. Wow, Steph has had a pretty rough half from Roland Garros when we last talked it was pretty good he had a good clay season he got out in the fourth round and he played the match of the year according to everyone who watched all the press against Dan Wawinger who went on to do very well at Roland Garros Wimbledon came which wasn't the best for Steph he lost in the first round which was a surprising shock exit for all of us City fans but you know he moved on he had a restful break where he went on lovely boat cruises around Greece and we were so envious to see that he hang out with his brothers and some of his friends and his girlfriend Maria Sicario who is a fellow Greek tennis player as well. Now Steph is back and the US Open preparation has begun. He has started off very well. He got to the semi-finals of Washington which is the City Open where he also surprisingly played doubles with someone who we didn't think he would, Nick Kyrgios. They have been very cozy and are currently playing doubles together in Cincinnati where they lost to Farah and Cabal sadly but hopefully they get their first one as a double pairing because I'm excited Nick has been singing Stefanos praises since they played double so it's good hope now there's no tension between them which we saw before but Steph is looking great he's playing well hopefully he keeps it up for the US Open and yeah also belated happy birthday to Stefanos who turned 21 this past weekend so he's been celebrating that and he also is now at a ranking of number five in the world so 
He's the top next gender, so big things to come at US Power Band. Anyway, that's all I got for you guys. Thank you for listening. See you on the next one. Hey everyone, it's Valerie here with your fan fave report on Serena Williams. And it's been a while, so there's a decent amount of things to share. To start, I'd like to tell you I'm quite happy to report that Serena is now at a post-baby career high of number eight in the world. This is in part to her recent play, which got her into the Rogers Cup final, where she played pretty well that tournament. Um, She even had a nice victory over Naomi Osaka in the quarterfinal, but she ultimately fell to the hometown girl, Bianca Andreescu, in the final um, where she had to retire. She was unable to continue play due to back spasms. So she has also now withdrawn from the next tournament, which is Cincinnati. Williams said, I came to Mason on Sunday and have tried everything to be ready to play tonight and was still hopeful after my practice this morning, but unfortunately my back is still not right and I know I should not take to the court. So this leaves Serena with no more warm-up matches before the U.S. Open. However, I don't think that will affect the odds makers too much. I imagine she'll still be one of the favorites regardless. So... Now that she has been sidelined, how about I move away from her tennis moves and talk about other Serena news. To start, I want to share that I happen to randomly come across this Twitter poll that recently made headlines. Apparently, this company called YouGov did a Twitter poll in Britain, and one in eight men said they believed they could win a point in a game of tennis against Serena Williams. That was 12% of the males in the poll whereas the women in the poll came in at a mere 3% belief factor on that question. Also recently, Serena has been on the cover of Forbes magazine, and she's going to be speaking at their signature Under 30 Summit in Detroit, because Serena is the first female athlete to make Forbes' self-made women's list. Pretty cool. You can also catch some more Serena this weekend. Tune in to ESPN's new docu-series called Backstory. That's going to kick off this Sunday, August 18th, with an episode called Serena vs. the Umpire. This is obviously in regards to 2018 U.S. Open final against Naomi Osaka, where they got in the whole cheating uh, conversation. So I imagine that this should stir up some things we have uh, thought we left in 2018. The show is set to air on ABC at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. However, if you do miss it, it's going to re-air on ESPN networks for a while. So I am quite interested to see what they rehash or if there's anything new that hasn't been said. Uh, Pam Shriver and some lines people will be speaking and being interviewed in this docuseries. So that should be interesting. And one thing is definitely for sure is we're getting excited to cheer on American hometown girl, our SoCal Compton girl, Serena, in her hometown Grand Slam, which is the U.S. Open coming up in a few weeks in New York. And uh, I hope that we can make some new memories this year. And maybe a memory of lifting the trophy. That would be really great. Um, But we shall see what happens. I just hope that everyone gets through this, the rest of the hardcore swing with no injuries. So thanks everyone for tuning in and catch you next time. 
Greetings, Tennis Pal Chronicles. Nicholas Kovarubias here giving your fan favorite report for Rafael Nadal. The last time I delivered my fan favorite report, I was on the edge of my seat riddled with anxiety. Our Spanish bull was on his way to his 12th French Open title. Victorious against Dominic Team, I was elated to see the King of Clay wrap his jaws around another La Cou de Moscouta. My expectations were high as our devilishly handsome Spaniard proceeded into the grass season, with Wimbledon's, in my opinion, a typical way of seating its tournament players and taking into consideration current ATP rankings at that time. How could we not foresee that Nadal and Federer would come face-to-face -face in the semifinals? What I was anticipating and what the world witnessed was not a repeat of their infamous five-set final in 2008, with Nadal winning his first of two Wimbledon titles. The reality, Fed was able to apply the pressure on Nadal because of his ability to move quicker inside the court. Not the outcome I wanted, but not everyone is perfect. Moving into the last days of summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Really? Fall can't come soon enough. But tennis fans cringe as the final curtain comes down as another beloved season of tennis comes to an end. Which brings us to the 2019 U.S. Open series. The Rogers Cup. Rafa, the defending champion, successfully defended his title by defeating Medved 6-3-6-0. What brought about an ear-to-ear -ear smile during the Canadian Open was Nadal's quarterfinal victory over Fabio Fognini. The two had met previously in the semifinals at the Monte Carlo Masters in April. This victory for Nadal, at least for me, was a reminder for the 10th seed Volgini that his win was really just a surprising piece of luck. Staring at the current rankings, we can only predict that our dearly loved Spaniard will continue on a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, to reach the final at the 2019 U.S. Open. Well, fan favorite reports can't be full of superlatives and accolades. And I mean this in the most lighthearted way you could possibly ever imagine. <laughs> Nadal and Perea will marry on October 19th in Puerto Poyenza. The ceremony will take place at noon local time at the Mallorcan estate La Fortaleza, with the reception to follow. Feliciano Lopez, Fernando Verdasco, and King Juan Carlos I of Spain are expected to attend. The event is said to be one of the biggest social events of the year. If that's the case, when will I receive my invite? Hello, I'm Tanya from Republic of Srpska and this is my report on Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic doesn't stop. Tennis fans are witnessing another successful period of Serbs' career and thanks to that the race for being crowned as the greatest of all time between the big three has never been tighter. The Serb is aware of that and he knows that now every single match matters. That's why he's showing strong emotions on the court again.
I know that almost whole world knows a lot about historical Wimbledon final between Djokovic and Federer, but I have to talk about it a little bit more in this report. It was one of those matches that whole world is eager to see and when the time completely stops and tennis is the only thing that matters. Tennis fans were expecting nothing but the best and that's exactly what they got. Generations and generations will talk about it. The only problem was that only one player could end up with a trophy in his hands and it was Novak Djokovic. These two tennis legends played the longest Wimbledon final. It took them 4 hours and 57 minutes to decide the winner. It was a classical Hollywood blockbuster, movie where the odds were constantly changing. It seemed that Federer was the better player that day. He hit more aces, won more points and broke serve more often. But Djokovic's mental strength was simply extraordinary. He was the stronger player when it seemed it was over for him. He saved two match points and when his chances came, he took them and secured his 16th Grand Slam title. He's closer than ever to Federer's 20 and he set his eyes and heart toward that goal. After Wimbledon, the best tennis players moved from Europe to North America to play tournaments which are part of US Open series. Novak Djokovic skipped the Rogers Cup because he was physically and mentally exhausted after becoming fifth-time Wimbledon champion and he needed a well-deserved break. The next tournament was Cincinnati Open and Djokovic came there with a new member in his team, coach Goran Ivanishevic. At the time when I'm doing this report, the Serb reached semi-finals and he will play against Daniel Medvedev. If he reached the final, he will have to beat Richard Gasquet or David Goffin in order to defend the title. Hi, it's Fiona with the Federer Fan Report. It's my first fan report since the Australian Open, so I'll do a quick recap of what Roger has been up to since January. He's won three titles in Dubai, Miami and Halle, and he's reached three finals in Indian Wells, Madrid and of course Wimbledon and he also reached the semis of Roland Garros and the quarters of Rome and the Australian Open. So let's go straight to the grass court season for the most recent news, um, I guess. So Roger won his 10th uh, title in Halle. It was a great victory and it set great expectations for Roger going into Wimbledon. And so he started his 2019 Wimbledon campaign pretty strongly. He beat Harris, Clark, Pui, Berrettini and Nishikori. And moving into the semi-finals, Federer played Nadal and he won. He won 7-6-1-6-6-3-6-4. And to be honest, I think that was one of Federer's most comprehensive and well-executed victories I've ever seen him deliver. And I wish the tournament ended right there because in that one match, he really showed why he should never be second-guessed or ridden off. And he reached his 12th Wimbledon final. 
and then came Djokovic. So um, I wish I was exaggerating about having sleepless nights about the final, even one and a half months later, but it's sort of the sad reality. And um, yeah, so Djokovic and Federer played the longest Wimbledon final in history and Roger had two championship points and he could have won his 21st Grand Slam. I guess I don't need to be repeating this for all the Federer fans because no one wants to hear it, but Djokovic won in a very agonising five-setter. The final score of the final was 7-6-1-6-7-6-4-6-13-12. Djokovic won each set on a tiebreak, um, including the fifth set, the first time they ever put in place the tiebreak at 12 games all rule since it was introduced this year at Wimbledon. So it's still definitely an open wound, but I think I want to say it was a also a display of grit, a display of grace and a display of strength. So um, for me, it's easy to look at all these finals Rogers reached this year and think about how close he was and how he fell short. But it's also demonstrated that no matter how many years of experience you have, you can't overcome pressure and you can't plan for pressure or prepare for it. It grows and it changes and it depends on what's happening on the other side of the net as well. And I guess throughout 2019, the overarching theme I see is not that Roger can't win these big titles. It's that he can and it's sort of proof that with these shortcomings, he can do it. Because having two championship points against Djokovic isn't a failure. It's closer than anyone got else got to the title. And I know we don't look at tennis that way, but it is one positive I can take. Now, looking ahead, we're in the North American hardcourt swing part of the season now. Cincinnati has just concluded and Roger had a bit of a bumpy start. He actually lost in the third round, which surprisingly is his worst result of the season. He lost to Rublev and in straight sets. But I think with the US Open just around the corner a few days away, all we can really do as a fan base is sort of pull together and look at the positives that do come and just enjoy that Roger is still competing. Again, that's the best uh, positive of them all. So I hope you guys enjoyed my fan report this time around. Sorry, it's been a long time. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you again soon. Bye. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate your time and we know you have a lot of choices to listen to for podcasts and we really appreciate you choosing us as one of the people that you listen to. Yes, thank you so much. Valerie, I'm so proud to be sponsored by Tennis Pal and I just love what they're doing as a company, really trying to build a community of tennis players all around the United States for people to get connected. So if you love what we're doing, not only here at Tennis Pal Chronicles with the podcast, but also with the app, we are excited to reach out to companies and individuals who want to support the Tennis Pal app and all the great things that we're doing as a team. So we have a couple of sponsorship opportunities available to you, and we would love to send the demographics for the app and how many people are downloading it and how many people are using the app as well as how many people are visiting the website. 
we would love to send all of that to you as a potential sponsor. So please contact me at my email address, pk at tennispal.com. And the P is like Philip, pk at tennispal.com. Hope you have a great week, Valerie. You too, Philip. We'll see you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.